short life. I don't want to spend it wasting away. I want to spend every minute I can that will extend the kingdom of God because it's the only thing that really matters. Um, I want to show you a picture if you can throw that up there. Is it, do you have the picture for me or is that not going to work? That's okay. Very good. Oh, look at this. Friends, pray for the world. There are now four Bill Allisons. And uh, pr pray for the world. Uh, my dad is 80, 80 now, and uh, nobody's ever lived to be that old before uh, in my family because they're all crazy people and they died young. And my dad somehow has survived. Uh, he had surgery last week. He's not walking around right now, but uh, I knew we had to get this together. I called my dad. He's kind of an old codger. You can pray for him. You can pray for all four. Just pray for Bill Allison. It goes four different ways right there. Just pray for us. Uh, I called my dad when Billy uh, let me know that his wife had a baby, and we were so excited about it. And, and I called my dad, and my dad, I said, hey, Dad, he can hardly hear it. I go, hey, Dad, guess what? Uh, he goes, what? I go, Billy and his wife had the baby. And uh, he goes, that's great. What is it? It's a boy. I, I, he said, he said uh, well, what'd they name it? And I said, William Jean Allison IV. Nice pause. And then he says, great, maybe that kid can do something with the name. I told you, he's an old codger. That's my dad. I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Revelations chapter 1. That's where we're going. Yes, that's right, the book of Revelations. So hold on. One of the more interesting books that I've read in recent years is a book called My Imaginary Jesus. The only way I can explain how this book is, is it's Captain Underpants meets C.S. Lewis. Are you intrigued? Because it's a fun, crazy book, but it makes a super important, it raises a philosophical question that we need to wrestle with today. In the chapter zero, see, I told you it's a crazy book. It starts with chapter zero. So there's this guy who's a follower of Jesus, and he's in Portland. So that'll tell you a little bit about how it starts. He's drinking coffee in Portland, isn't everybody? And he's at this restaurant drinking coffee, and he's having coffee with Jesus. Jesus has his first century garb on. The Portland guy has 21st century garb on. And and. Everything this guy wants to do, this Jesus is okay with it. Well, somewhere in the conversation, in walks through the front door a big, burly, hairy guy, big old beard from the first century. And he's dirty and he's stinking. He walks in with his old robes from the first century and he starts looking in that restaurant for somebody. And he sees him. He sees Jesus. And he walks over to Jesus, picks him up, punches him right in the mouth. And the Portland guy goes, you can't be punching Jesus. He goes, that's not Jesus. That's your imaginary Jesus. It raises this question. Do we know and love the Jesus of the Bible or have we embraced some sort of American cultural fake? An imposter. I think you see this all over Christendom and certainly out in the world. Everybody hijacks Jesus for their cause. 
And their causes are often the exact opposite of what Jesus would stand for. I have two points I want to make today. Number one, who is Jesus? And number two, why it matters so much. In the book of Revelation, yes, this is about to get apocalyptic. In the book of Revelation, we will see who Jesus is and why it matters. Revelations chapter 1, verse 1. The first word in the Greek, where we get our word apocalypse, the revelation. That's Revelation is the word apocalypse. And immediately, you know what happens? Immediately, we are so far away from the point of the Bible that we get so excited about prophecy and we get so excited about the rapture and we get so excited about who's the Antichrist? Oh my goodness, I wonder who it is. Like one guy was saying, you know, he loved to study prophecy and he said, oh, I'm so upset today. And the other guy said, why? He said, my, my Antichrist died today. <laughs> he was trying to figure out who the Antichrist was. We read the book of Revelation and we read it for all the wrong reasons. We read it in such a way that it has nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with the end times. It's funny because, and here's why this happens. There is such a thing as apocalyptic literature. There's a whole genre of movies of apocalyptic movies, right? And it's always the, the, the tearing down of society and the end of, of the world kind of a thing. And it's true, right? But here's the problem. We eisegete this passage. We read into the Scriptures what we think Revelation is, Apocalypse is. All it means, friends, listen to me now. I want you to look right there. And I want you to circle the word. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what it means? To reveal... Jesus Christ. That's all it means. But it turns out that's enough. Because we don't know who He is. Our culture thinks they know who He is. So many of us born and raised in the Christian home think we know who He is. But you know what? If you read the Gospels, you'd have a great idea who He is, but you can't get a full understanding of who Jesus is until you understand that Jesus is the key person that the book of Revelation is all about. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about how it's going to all end. It's about Jesus Christ. All God's people said what? Amen. This is about Jesus, right? And so look what it says. The revelation, the revealing, it's about Jesus and it's from Jesus. He's the sender and the subject of this book. He says, which God gave him to show, so God gave it to Jesus to show his servants what must soon take place. Soon when? Soon in their time. Soon. When Jesus says there's going to be, you know, not one stone left upon another, you can go to Israel. Maybe Joe was there. Uh, he, maybe he sat on those stones. Because when the Roman army tore down the temple, they went looking for the gold and they threw these great big stones off a cliff. You can go sit on those stones. It's fascinating, right? But here it is. It says, and God gave him to show his servants, that's us, right? What must soon take place. It's interesting. It's soon. He made it known. He made it clear by sending his angel to the servant of John. So you see how it's coming to John? John is definitely writing about this. 
John, verse 2, who testified to everything he saw. That is the Word of God. The book of Revelation is the Word of God. And it's interesting, John in 1, chapter 14, he says, in the beginning, well, he says 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. That's another name for Jesus, the Word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So there's the introduction. You can't miss it. And yet, there's so many people that have all these crazy ideas about the book of Revelations. None of it's about Jesus. It's about all the crazy stuff. The sensational stuff. We miss, we read the Bible, and we miss Jesus. It's crazy. Watch. You want to know who Jesus is? This is what he says. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. You know why they're blessed? Because in Jesus' time, in this time, when the book of Revelation was written, people didn't have a Bible. They had scrolls. If you were rich and you could afford one, so you know when the church gathered locally? You know when the church gathered locally? Somebody would get out the scroll and they would start reading this. And he says, blessed is the one. It's interesting, the word blessed. This harkens back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, right? Who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked. You know, he talks about this stuff. Blessed, in the Hebrew, literally, to find the right pathway in the face of false pathways. You talk about what blessed means. We think it's money and all this kind of stuff, and certainly that's a blessing too. But in the Old Testament, this particular word means literally to find the right pathway in the face of all the false pathways. Do we need clarity on this today? There are so many false pathways parading to be the right pathway. Look what it says. Blessed is the one who reads this. Why? Because you can share what God is saying about who Jesus is. So somebody would be the public reader. By the way, about an hour and 45 minutes, you can get through 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. Could you imagine that church service? Huh? If somebody reads that kind of amount of the Word of God, and it says, and blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Take it to heart. Which is written because the time is near. Twice the time and near. Now, even more of who Jesus is. John. This looks like a Greek letter that's common in the Bible. John. To the seven churches in the province of Asia. There's probably more than seven churches, but there's seven named in Revelations 2 and 3. Grace and peace to you. Stop for a moment. Because of Jesus Christ, our present reality is grace and peace. We read right over those introductions. All right, let's get on to the good stuff. This is the good stuff. Grace and peace. Grace is unmerited favor. What's the greatest picture in the Bible of that? Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you and me. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He died on the cross for us. That was unmerited favor. God didn't say, if you be good, I'll, I'll be good to you. No, He says, listen, I love you, period. And here's my son dying on the cross. Grace, the ultimate expression of it, is Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and I'm going to throw in the ascension. Because I think it all proves who Jesus is. You know what? In the Bible... That's a mantra. Grace and peace. Almost all the writers mention grace. You know, Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Paul says, grace and peace to you. Peter says, may it be multiplied to you. Grace and peace. Friends, you know why so many of us in this culture, including Christians, don't have shalom, don't have that quality of peace from God Almighty in our lives? It's because you don't understand grace. It's grace, then peace. There's an order. Grace and peace. When you understand who you are because of what Jesus did for you, you have grace and peace. Friends, it's a jacked up world right now. It is as jacked up as I've ever seen it. I don't know if it's going to get better, but I know this. These words from God to you today, God's unmerited favor to you, His great peace through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and great news, when you have peace with God, when you have grace from God, you can experience His peace. His peace is not happiness. Happiness depends on what happens to you. Hey, I found $10. Woohoo! Maybe I'm the only one that does that. Woohoo! Ten bucks. Didn't expect that. Great. That's happiness. Peace, no matter what's going on in the world, is yours if you have grace of God in your life. Friends, are you alive today? Are you here today? Grace and peace. Look what it says. From Him who is, that's right, He's alive right now, who is, who was, He lived on this earth for 33 years, died on the cross, who was, and who is to come. The local church is the kingdom of God on this planet. And someday, He is going to physically reign on this earth. Maranatha! Come, Lord, quickly come! Put your. In the meantime, we get to be a part of building His kingdom through disciple-making. He says, who is, who was, and who is to come. The scholars who understand Greek tell me this. They tell me that when He says, who is, they, the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek many, many years ago. It's called the Latin Vulgate. And in that Latin Vulgate, there's this hint because it uses the same Greek word. It's, it's this, who is, it's Jesus. Who is, who was, and is to come. And that's what Jesus did. It's almost like, uh, like in Exodus chapter 3.14, when God sends Moses and Moses is not having any of it. No, Lord, I can't talk and they'll never listen to me. And he's got all these reasons. And he says, okay, Lord, if I go, who do I tell that is sending me. And he says, God says, tell him I am sent you. So right now you're going to unpack. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept of Trinity is everywhere. And this is one of them. So he says, who is grace and peace to you from God the Father, who is and who was and who is to come. And then he says, and from the seven spirits. And right away, does your say seven spirits? It gets weird, like seven spirits. That's really, all of a sudden, we're three verses in. You're like, this is so crazy. Now, I want to teach you something really important. I need you to hear this. Instead of jumping on the book of Revelation and going crazy places, I have a more uh, biblical hermeneutic for you. Whenever you see something in the book of Revelations and you don't understand it, you got to go look in the Old Testament. Here's why. Did you hear what I said? The key to the book of Revelation, really, I could argue the key to almost all of the New Testament books is all about understanding the Old Testament. 
If you don't, the greatest, the greatest commentary on the New Testament is the Old Testament, and the greatest commentary on the Old Testament, I'll never understand the Old Testament properly until I see it through the life of Jesus and the church. So those are together. So reading the Bible, reading the Old Testament is important because he thinks you know this. There's, there's no direct quotes that I know of from the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. I need you to hear this. Now, this is kind of crazy here. There are hundreds of allusions. In other words, he mentions something and he thinks you're picking it up. He thinks you're getting it because you know the Old Testament. This is a classic. I'm going to show you one. It says, from God the Father who is and was and is to come, the seven spirits before his throne. Where in the world does it talk about that kind of thing? Hold your finger here. Flip over to Isaiah. I want you to flip over to Isaiah. And I want you to go to chapter 11. This, this is how the Old Testament informs the New Testament. And the people of first century Judaism who had come to Christ knew the Old Testament so well, they didn't have to refer to it directly. They alluded to it. And everybody was picking up what they were laying down. We're not picking it up because we hardly ever read the Old Testament. I love all the crazy books. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Revelation. The ones that mystify people. I love these books. And the only way I'll ever understand any of these books is i got to understand what they're alluding to. Look at chapter 11 of Isaiah, verse 1 and 2. He says, by the way, Isaiah is often talking about the coming Messiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. You know Jesse? Jesse is the father of beautiful, right? And through David's kingship, through his line, was prophesied one who was coming from the son of David. He says, there's the stump of Jesse. It was cut off, right? From the roots. A branch, capital B branch, will bear fruit. So he's already talking about the Messiah. Now, verse 2. You count them with me, okay? Count them with me. I'm going to stick my finger right here real quick so I don't lose my space. All right. Ready? Count the seven. The Spirit of the Lord, one, will rest on Him. The Spirit of wisdom. The Spirit of understanding. The Spirit of counsel. The Spirit of power. The Spirit of knowledge. And of the fear of the Lord. Seven descriptions who is the one Holy Spirit. If you don't know Isaiah, you'll never understand the, the book of Revelation. I want you to think about that. All right, now watch what it says. The sevenfold spirit, the sevenfold spirit of the Lord. And I think that's a direct reference from that. Before his throne and from Jesus Christ. So what do we have? We have Yahweh, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus Christ. Who is, by the way, here's who he is. The first, the faithful witness. By the way, the word witness became martyr. A faithful witness. It didn't mean martyr in this, but it became later on when the early church, when people would die. And you know why? Their last words were a faithful expression in God even while they were killing them. And it came to be people who died for their faith. The ultimate faithfulness is to die for something you believe in. So this is the, that's the word there. He says, Jesus is, did Jesus die? Yes, he did. He's a faithful witness. He's the faithful martyr. The firstborn from the dead, that's why we, listen, you and I might die apart from the coming of Jesus, which could be imminent. But I want you to hear this. If I die, I want you to know something. I'm, I'm, going to, my, I'm going to be with God immediately once my spirit departs and my body's going to be resurrected. 
Because Jesus Christ was resurrected. I know where I'm, you can put me in a ground, but I will come back. And so will every Christian because that's what Jesus did for us. Look what it says. The firstborn from the dead, and I want you to underline this. Seriously. The ruler of the kings of all the earth. I'm not worried about Putin. I'm not worried about Biden. I'm not worried about Trump, just in case that's some of you. I'm not worried about any politician. Because Jesus Christ is the ruler of all earthly kings. Remember that. Why are we hiding? You do not have to hide. The king of all kings. The king who's going to judge all the kings is going to be with us. That's why I'm not afraid of the future. I'm not afraid when everything gets jacked up. Because I'm friends. I'm a child of the one who is the ruler of all the earthly Kings. I got connections. How about you? I'm connected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now watch. That's who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? All those things. Now, here's the next question. So what? The next question is, why is that so important? It couldn't be more important. Look, he breaks out in praise. There's a little doxology here. By the way, it happens all over in the book of Revelation. You read a little bit, something crazy happens, and then boom, there's a worship service. And then there's some more stuff there. Then boom, and a worship service. And then boom, there's a word. It just happens just spontaneously all over the place. Because God's working it all out, even through the dirty, nitty-gritty of judgment. God he, he doesn't only manifest His self to us through love and grace. He manifests itself through judgment because He's just. It, sometimes it feels like God is not just. That is wrong. He is just. You haven't lived long enough. He is just. You might not live to see it here, but He will be just. He's both holy and loving, not one or the other. I want to say something to you. When we overemphasize one of God's attributes, we create cults. So we better hold on to the whole of who God says He is and keep them in tension. Of course, he, we have a culture right now that thinks God is only loving. Yes, He's loving, but He's not going to put up with sin. He didn't do it with His Son, right? He was the sacrifice for that sin. You reap what you sow. So I want you to think about this. He is holy. He's nothing to be trifled about. But here's the good news. He's crazy about you. Here's, you don't think that's true? Watch. To Him, and I got three, three things I want to teach you. Why? Why is this so important? Because He loves you. Look what it says. To Him who loves us. <laughs> oh man. How many of you believe God loves you? You don't have to raise your hand. Now I asked you, do you believe it? I asked, I'm asking you, 
I didn't ask if you know it. I'm asking you if you believe it. Because right here in Revelation, he breaks out in this praise about because God is so beautiful and wonderful and scary. He says, oh my goodness, to him who loves us. I think one of the most basic things we have to get our arms around is that God loves you. How many of you have more than one child? Raise your hand. Which one do you love the most? Depends on the week for me. But seriously, it'd be Ivy. All right, but seriously, now watch. Think about that. I remember when my wife was pregnant with number two many years ago. And she asked me this question. Do you think we could ever love the second baby like we loved the first one that we had? And my right away, no, there's no way it could ever happen. But guess what happened? The moment it happened, my heart grew from a BB to a P, just a little bit more. And all of a sudden, I was willing to do anything for that kid. I didn't think I could love another kid like that, but we had another one. And then that's all seven of them, right? Seriously, think about this. I, I, my heart grew, grew, and grew, and grew. And I'm like, oh my goodness, if my kids needed a kidney, I would totally ask their mother to give them one. Because she really is good at loving kids. I'd have to think about it. I don't know. I haven't taken care of myself as much as she has, right? So think with me for a moment. That's what God does. So friends, here's what I want to say to you. Do you feel like God's favorite child? Some of you are like, oh, I don't know about that theology, Allison. I, you know, if I'm, if I'm the favorite child, isn't it? No, no, no. Let me say it this way. Do you feel like God's favorite child, even though you're in a 7.9 billion wafer first? Maybe you should. I actually think we're not making disciples and sharing the gospel and making a difference on this earth because we don't really believe God loves us. Because if you believe God loved you, you would want everybody to know. You would be, it would be your thing. You would be like, I, you need Jesus. It is, he is the most awesome person. He is the God. He saved us. And He loves us. If you really believe that. And I think it took me years to figure this out. I got saved at 15. But it took me years. I remember not long ago, it, maybe 10 years ago. But I guess it's all short now because I'm so old. But all that to say this. I was at a, invited to preach at a church that was very um, liturgical and had an old kind of a, a sanctuary with stained glass and you know really tall steeples and stuff. And, and so they said, hey, we want you to come and preach. I said, I'd love to do that. And I, sometimes I'm not even sure they always hear the whole word of God there at this particular denomination. And I said, I'd love to come and preach. I'd love to bring the gospel to you. And uh, the guy said, well, that's great. Now we got three services. The first service, he said, is um, we have an, it'd be you and 150 80-year-old people. And he said, you will, you will be the youngest guy in the room by 30 years. And he said, wear a suit and tie and bring the word. Okay. Second service, he said, is kind of a blended service. We'll have guitars and stuff. They just lose the tie. And they said, across the street on the third service is the hip-hop service. Bring, a new, bring new clothes. <laughs> relax clothes. Just relax. I said, okay. So it was, it was like, this was like an old church where it was, you know, old, old kind of a place. Big spiraling, uh, you know, ceilings. Over here would be that, you know, that throne chair, the gold and red one. Yeah, one of those over here and one of those over here. And the, the worship leader's over there. And I'm sitting over here. And I'm on this, I'm on this 
golden throne chair, and I'm doing this, stroking my beard, looking like I was scholarly, trying to anyway. And uh, like, you guys are going to be blessed because I studied this week, you know, that kind of thing. I was trying to give that vibe. And all of a sudden, that pipe organ, and it was massive because it was all these pipes. And the worship leader walked over and the worship leader said, hey, if you can stand, join us. If you can't, sing with us anyway. And all of a sudden, we sang this song with me and 150, 80-year-old people. Sing it with me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible. It's weird, isn't it? Like when we're all old people together singing that, right? Because here's what I do. It's for you, kids. It's for you. This is for you. Jesus loves you. Guess what? On that day, I was the youngest guy. And I stood up and I started to sing it. And I was like, now who are we going to focus all this love on? And I looked out there and they're all looking at me. You're the youngest guy here, Allison. And I started to be touched by the thought that God loved me. I know. I knew it in my head, but something happened to me. And I started to tear up. And I thought to myself, like every real man would think, I got three services to preach. I can't start crying in the first 10 seconds. So I did what I think every real man would do. I sucked that tear back into my duct. But there was no doubt about it. It was the Spirit stirring my soul, whispering to me that He loved me but I couldn't have time to think about it. So I came home, ate lunch, and I sat on my little deck. And I had this little conversation. I don't hear God speak. I, I do get impressions of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Lord, what was happening to me? And this little question comes back. What were you singing? Lord, it was Jesus loves me, but I've known that for years. I think you finally believe it. I think we know Jesus loves us, but I don't think we live like He loves us. Boy, if we could ever get that right, it would transform the world and our lives. To Him who loves us. Not only that, to, to Him who loves us and has freed us. So number one, He loves us and He's freed us, but this is good, from our sins by His blood. From our sins by His... So He loves us and He freed us. Friends, I don't know about you, but I have. I did not grow up in a Christian family. Thank God I received Christ as my Savior at 15. It saved me a lot of heartache, but I need to tell you something. I was already being discipled to be bad by 15. It was my cousin, older cousin, when I was 13. Want to smoke some dope? Okay. See, I got discipled the wrong way. They'd start early. I don't know if you know this or not, but the thing in my family is this, on my mom's side. I can hug more felons in one day at a family picnic than many. That's where I was headed to jail. That's where I was headed. And you know what happened along the way? 
God's great love through the person and work of Jesus Christ was brought to my mom, who was a bartender, by another bartender who had recently received Christ as her Savior, and my mom brought that message to me. And here we are. That is what this means when it says, He freed us from our sins by the blood of Jesus. I was uh, doing work with a church in Bloomington, and um, I was getting my stuff ready, and I went up to go up to the sanctuary, and I turned the corner, and I ran into a guy I haven't seen since high school. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and my flashback immediately happened. The last time I was with this guy, we were 15 years old doing a drive through to get beer illegally. That's the last time I saw this guy. I looked at him and I said, what are you doing in church? And he said, what are you doing preaching at a church? I said, we have to tell our stories. And we did. We got together after that. And here was the theme of our stories. God loves us and He freed us from our sins by the blood of Jesus. That's who we all are. That's who we are. So God loves us. This is why it matters. This is why Jesus matters. He loves us. He freed us. And lastly, look what it says. He made us. He loves us. He freed us. And He made us to be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. Would you come up here for a moment? And uh, would you come up by me right here real quick? Thanks for paying attention. I didn't catch either of you sleeping. And... Um, so what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? Well, first of all, stay right here for a moment. Let me read, um, if I can find it, 1 Peter chapter 2. Look what it says. He says, but you are a chosen people. He's talking to the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. There's our mission, right? But what is a kingdom of priests? He's made us a kingdom of priests. So I'm going to let you be... Jesus. That's a tall order. And uh, I'm going to let you be my friend, okay? So we're going to do that together. So here's me, right? So here's what it means to be a kingdom of priests. I have, I often, what's your first name? Tony. I'm, Tony's my friend, and I'm praying for him. So I often talk to Jesus about Tony. That's what it means to be a priest. You talk to Jesus about your friends and family and your coworkers. I'm always talking to you, Jesus, about not only my whole life, but the people in my life, and I'm asking you to do great work in their life. That's what a priest does. He stands before God on behalf of the people. But it works the other way too. I also want to talk about the Jesus I love to the people that are in my life in some way, shape, or form. I'm going to try to get there with them, right? So not only do I talk to Jesus about my friends, I talk to my friends about Jesus. Why? Because I'm a part, you're a part of a kingdom of priests. And here's the problem. You think, well, we pay Josh and we pay, you know, pastor and we, we send money to missionaries. They do it. That's why we are losing all Christian influence in this culture. Because we keep it right here. I love this. I love the church gathered. But I also love the church on mission when we leave. And you're like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm here today because of a 
this, of a bartending woman who had accepted Christ as her Savior one week and she shared the gospel with my mom the next week. No theology, no seminary, no nothing, but she knew enough. You know enough. I promise you. You've been in this church. You, I know the teaching here. You know enough. This isn't about what you know. This is about you embracing your identity that Jesus gave every follower of Jesus to talk to Jesus about your friends and to talk to your friends about Jesus. Many of you are here. You think about your story. Somebody talked to Jesus for you and on your behalf. And then finally somebody, it might have been your grandma. It might have been your great grandma. It might have been somebody in your history. We're here today because sweet Jesus helped us to talk to other people. Thank you. Thank you so much. A priest is someone who stands before Jesus and talks about their friends and then stands before their friends and talks about Jesus. We will never see the revival we want to see until we all pick up our mantle that Jesus is the King of all kings and therefore I'm in. I'm going to be. He loved us. He freed us all for the reason that we might talk to Jesus about our friends and family and that might be talked about Jesus to our friends and family. The way I keep this simple for me, and I'm going to close with this, is this disciple-making prayer. I'd like to give you a little business-sized card, disciple-making prayer. My 11-year-old daughter will help me pass those out. If you'd put that up there just for a moment, the disciple-making prayer. I want to use this as my closing prayer. It comes from these seven passages of Scripture. And this is, how do I say this? Everything in my life, moves me away from living on mission because I want to live for me. And I start thinking about my comfort and I start thinking about what I want. I need a continual reminder that I'm here to be a part of a kingdom of priests. And this little prayer helps me remember that I need to live. When I leave here, it's not Joe's job to win people to Christ only. He does a great job of it. It's all of our jobs to talk to our friends about Jesus. This world needs Jesus. It is the only hope we have. And if we're just going to hide it in here, we're going to lose. But if we leave here because of who God is, He's amazing. Understanding why that matters because it's who we are. We are a kingdom of priests. Say, I am a part of the kingdom of priests. Say, I'm a priest. <laughs> Don't sell that with your Catholic friends, okay? But just, just right here. This right here is good, okay? Because I want you to be, I want you to understand your identity. I want you to pray this with me right now. And then you can, the band can come up while we pray this. Ready? Heavenly Father, say it with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples ad infinitum 
In Jesus' name, amen.